if we haven't met before, my name's Emma. I'm part of the staff team here at KXC. Um, it's total joy to come and speak to you guys today. Kind of as I was praying about what to speak on over the past few weeks, I was kind of, you know, you get the gig where you're like going into the new year. And I was kind of hoping for some really great kind of motivational um, kind of preach to kick off the year with. But the only word that was going round my mind was this word, joy. And I kind of feel like I need to start with a bit of a confession. Um, Because if I'm to be totally honest, um, my heart completely sunk at hearing that word joy, Um, which is ironic on many levels, I know. But um, joy, to me, it's like a nice idea, but does it actually mean anything? Like, you know, it's the kind of thing that we have as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, It's this good thing, but does it actually make a difference? Um, But I just couldn't get away from this word joy. And as I carried on thinking about it, I guess my sense as we start 2019 is that um, as we look around at this city, we couldn't really be further from joy at the moment, could we? Like We're one of the most anxious generations ever. Like there's growing isolation in our communities. Um, just think about like the fragile political moment we're in. Like, are you feeling joyful yet? Um, but like it's not the word that springs to mind, is it? Joy is not the word that we'd use to describe this cultural moment. But yet the story we hold, and like that story that we've been thinking about over this Christmas period, it is joy to the world. You know, it's a story set in a time of oppression where there's uncertainty, and yet into the midst of that, joy is released that actually sees people set free. And kind of when I think about that and what that means for 2019... Um, I kind of think strategy, I think making plans, I think devising kind of some kind of solution. But what I feel like God wants to say to us this evening, as we stand on the threshold of another year, it's not kind of how do we devise a plan or make a strategy. I feel like God um, what is saying to our community, is saying to us as individuals, like, I want you to rediscover genuine joy. You know, the thing that would probably disrupt this cultural moment the most is just a bunch of ordinary people like you and me going about London with extraordinary joy. But how does this work? Because if you're anything like me, like you believe that Jesus is joy to the world, you know the carol off by heart, you will sing it, you'll proclaim it. But if you're honest, it feels like something that won't really make that much of a difference. It's something you've heard about rather than really, truly, deeply know. You know, I struggle to rejoice myself, let alone teach a weary world to rejoice. So how do I take kind of this incredible theology that we've just celebrated at Christmas of joy to the world, how do we take that and just make it real in everyday life, especially when our own circumstances um, are often really hard and really painful? And the Bible, it doesn't shy away from this tension. Like throughout scripture, again and again, we see this tension played out of people um, walking in joy, living a life of joy, but who are walking through the midst of incredibly hard and painful circumstances. And I just want to look at one of those stories tonight, and it's found in Acts chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. Um, And just to set a bit of context uh, before we read it, this is a story about Paul and Silas. And they're traveling around teaching and preaching about Jesus, about who he is, what he's done for them. And uh, they found themselves in the city of Philippi, and they've met a woman called Lydia. And Paul's led her to Christ, and um, the church in Philippi is born. 
but people really don't like um, kind of what Paul and Silas are doing. And so a few um, people drag them, in, drag them in front of the authorities um, and they accuse them of stirring up trouble in the city. They're beaten, they're flogged, and then they're thrown into prison. And the scripture says, like, it throws them into the deepest parts of prison. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. And so we're going to pick it up from verse 25. So Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them. He washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. It's a crazy story, isn't it? Like we have these guys who used to be pretty normal, Paul and Silas. um, They led normal lives, but then they encountered someone who had such an impact on them that they gave up their jobs. They find themselves traveling around, preaching to anyone who will listen. They get themselves imprisoned. And then in the midst of all of that, they just start singing and rejoicing. Like it's weird, right? It's a weird story. And yet this is the story of the church down the ages, right? Like we see this happen again and again throughout history. Ordinary men and women who encounter something in the person of Jesus, who are propelled outwards, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord with a joy that can exist in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Um, In October, I um, was lucky enough to go and visit Vienna and I was going for a 24-7 prayer conference and it was an amazing time, um, lots of different churches from across the world gathering together to pray for unity in the church and um, to pray for God's spirit to break out across Europe. Um, And it was an awesome time, but my kind of favorite part of that was the night that we spent in St. Stephen's Cathedral. And if you've um, been to Vienna, you will know what I'm talking about. It's this beautiful old cathedral building. You kind of come up the escalators in the underground, and all of a sudden, this stunning ancient building is in front of you. And we had one of our prayer evenings kind of in the heart of that building. And the reason it was so special was because 80 years um, ago, there was also another prayer meeting held in St. Stephen's Cathedral. And this was in 1938. And Hitler was advancing into Austria. And um, basically, a group of young people had called together to gather to pray and to worship. Um, At the time, public gatherings had been banned, especially in churches. But these guys, these young people in their 20s, they chose to defy that rule. And they gathered together to worship God, to proclaim who he was, and to pray. And in the middle of the evening, as um, they're kind of worshipping, this cardinal, he gets up on stage. Like, all eyes are fixed on him. And in a really loud voice, he shouts out, Jesus is Führer. Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. 
And when the Nazi youth, they hear what's happened, they're completely outraged. They ransack the building and they try and burn it down. They destroy the artifacts and they come across this picture of Jesus hanging on a cross. And what they do is they take out um, their bayonets and they stab this painting, causing the canvas to be ripped. And years later, when the church discover this painting, um, they choose kind of in their wisdom not to get it fixed, but instead they display it as it is with the ripped canvas um, kind of made by those bayonets, depicting, um, yeah, made by those bayonets and they adding to the wounds um, of Jesus already depicted on the painting. And as we worshipped there 80 years later, I was looking at this painting, there's a replica up in St. Stephen's Cathedral. And it's just, why? what gave those young people that hope? What was it that enabled them to worship amidst persecution? Like, why did Paul and Silas, why were they able to sing in the heart of prison? And I think it's because they'd caught a glimpse of who that man truly was hanging on a cross. Like, they knew they had every reason to hope and rejoice, even amidst suffering, because they knew that the ideologies, the political systems of the world, they come and go, but Jesus is Lord. Like, Jesus was their joy. And I guess my question to you this evening, as you start another year, as another year ticks by, do you know Jesus like that? Like, not just do you know about him, do you know him? Is he your joy? the person who's going to sustain you through this year. You know, the way for joy to break out in our city, the way for this city to be transformed, the way that the jailer in the story finds freedom, the way that those young people had the the courage and the strength to worship and sing in the midst of St. Stephen's Cathedral, is because they knew that their joy was rooted in the person of Jesus. And today we talk a lot about happiness, right? Um, you know, the perfect Instagram brunch or um, a nice day off, a great cup of coffee, hanging out with friends. They're all great things, all a big fan. But um, it's this idea that when we get everything in order, that's when we'll find happiness. And that might be true, but that isn't what joy is. Like the radical thing about joy is that it can live in the midst of the most broken relationships of hurt, of pain, Because in the biblical sense of the word, joy is a grace that comes to us from God. Like it isn't wearing a fake smile or mustering up some kind of happiness. Um, This Australian pastor, Mark Sayers, he describes joy as not being dependent upon the horizontal, like the things around us. Instead, joy is dependent on the vertical. It comes from God. So to be joyful, we don't look to the left or to the right. We connect ourselves to the source of joy, which is Jesus. And I'm really aware that for many of us, um, talking flippantly about joy can actually be a bit painful. You know, there's heartbreak and circumstances that are going on in our lives at the moment um, that can just feel too much. And if I'm honest, I've been really wrestling with this over the past few weeks. But I felt God really personally challenge me about this because this is where the rubber really hits the road, right? Like, if Jesus' good news is just for when life's going well... What kind of gospel is that? You know, the gospel, the good news, the thing we remember over this Christmas season and the thing that we can stake our claim on as we start 2019 is that Jesus is Lord. He is light in the darkness. That even when all hope seems to have gone, he's still there. He's that wounded saviour. He's a king who isn't scared of the dark, but who was born into it to lead us out. 
And I, I don't know where you find yourself today. Like, I don't know what life looks like for you at the moment. But wherever you find yourself, like the, the challenge isn't just to kind of diminish pain and to be fake about how we're feeling, to stuff it down or ignore it. Like there's such a clear place in the Bible for lament, to mourn with those who mourn. Like it's biblical and that's good. So the challenge isn't to diminish it. It's whether we can hold that in one hand and with our eyes fixed on him and saying, yeah, I choose to believe that you are still God. To stand in the tension because we know the end of our story and our king overcomes. So if joy is found in the person of Jesus, what does that actually look like in daily life? You know, there's been some research done um, around what makes an experience joyful. And what researchers found was that the most important factor uh, for whether people found an experience joyful or whether they found it painful, it wasn't the intensity of something or the length of time. Um, it wasn't the different emotions they experienced throughout it. The most important factor for whether something, someone found something joyful or not was the end of the story. No matter what they had experienced throughout the event, no matter what emotions the participants have felt, the most important thing was the end of the story. And as Christians, um, if you know Jesus tonight, you know the end of our story. You know, it's one where there's no sickness, no death, no crying, no pain. I love how C.S. Lewis describes joy. He describes it as a sudden rush of longing, a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. That joy is what we experience from God when we're reminded of the end of the story. It's a certain hope breaking through in the midst of uncertain lives. And one of the ways that we kind of cultivate joy in our lives is by reminding ourselves of the end of that story. Like daily choosing to um, remind ourselves of what he's done for us, of what's happened on the cross, and just living in a posture of thankfulness to him. Um, and it can be easy to say that right, but it's sometimes harder to live out. And as I mentioned earlier, my heart um, totally sunk at the thought of speaking about joy. And I'd much rather speak about strategies and plans because, um, you know, the way to cultivate joy is through thankfulness. And to be genuinely thankful means we have to get in touch with how we're really doing. Like most things in life allow us not to ask those deeper questions but we actually can't be genuinely thankful with numb hearts. And so for me, over the past few weeks, um, it's been an opportunity to kind of go through that process, to go there. And as I've been doing that, like I have found things I'm so genuinely thankful for. But as I've gone through that process, it's also brought up disappointment. It's brought up unanswered questions of the year. It's brought up fear and doubt. And it's not an easy process, but what it has done is it's woken my heart up again. Like, it's cultivated a place where joy can grow. And my sense, just for some in the room tonight, is that um, we've allowed our hearts to grow cold to this idea of joy. Joy doesn't do anything. It's weak. It's really naive to think that the city could ever be filled with joy. Like, our hearts have grown cold. And just without realising it, we've actually grown numb. And I just felt quite strongly tonight um, that God wants to release a gift of faith in this room. He's the God that can do immeasurably more than we can ask for or imagine. And I just feel like he wants to raise our expectations for what he can do in 2019 in us and through us. 
I feel like he wants to wake us up to release joy in us again, to restore to us the joy of our salvation, to remind us that it actually is good news. And if you're feeling numb tonight like me, um, can I just suggest that you carve out some time over the next few days? Just as you start this year, just carve out time to have an honest conversation with God, to tell him how you're really doing. He's big enough. He can handle um, the emotions, the doubts, the disappointment. Like as you start this new year, wake your heart up so that joy can be grown again. So joy is rooted in the person of Jesus. But as we saw in that story, Paul's joy doesn't only affect him, like it affects all of those around him. It transforms the lives of the other prisoners, of the jailer, of his whole household. In verse 34, it says that the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Like this man, who he was about to take his own life. He goes from that really dark place to being filled with joy. Why? Because Paul chose to introduce him to Jesus. Um, I've heard some hilarious stories over the kind of the Christmas period of uh, weird mashups in nativity scenes. I don't know if you've heard this as well, but at the moment there seems to be this weird combination going on of kind of like spaceships next to kings and shepherds next to take that impersonations. And it's all a bit bizarre. Um, I heard one guy talking about his daughter's school play and the kids, they just got got up on stage. They're about to sing. The parents have taken their phones out. They're ready to record. The piano starts and it's the carol, Joy to the World. And they start singing with all their hearts, Joy to the World, this incredible theological incarnational truth of Jesus' birth. And then instead of going to the second line of Joy to the World, they all of a sudden switch songs to the first verse of the Macarena. It's like this really weird mashup, um, you know, of this incredible message of Jesus that there's joy for all, and then mixing it with like a really ropey pop song from the 1990s. You know, and it's weird, isn't it? And that's a small example, but probably for most of us in the room, like over the past few weeks, we've encountered this bizarre combination of what people say the season's about. And it probably speaks to a wider held belief in our society, right? Like we're in a time where people are desperate for joy. They want to know the joy to the world. But we don't want to know this Jesus who's the source of it all. Like we want the kingdom. We want um, his goodness, his hope, his love. But we don't want the king. And as we look around at our city, um, like people want good things. They're not desiring bad stuff. There is this deep desire and longing for something more. But the narrative that people are living out is a broken one. You know, it's joy to the world, Macarena mashup, and it's not working. And my sense is that, yes, like God wants to teach us tonight personally about joy, but he wants us to be joy to the world. You know, there's a difference between living out of a personal kind of hope for our own lives and then seeing God's kingdom break out around us. You know, the first isn't bad, it's biblical. Um, We can have joy in all our circumstances. That is good and right. But Jesus never stops there. Like the good news, this joy, it's always for others. If this message of the gospel is good news to me, then it has to be good news to my neighbor. You know, what if our joy in Jesus wasn't just an abstract kind of cerebral idea, but it actually saw people freed from addiction or the lonely brought into family? If it could actually turn this city of London that's currently known as a city of anxiety and of fear, if it could turn that into a city of hope and of generosity and of welcome and hospitality. And this is what Paul gets. Like his cultural moment, it looked totally different from ours today. And yet the same questions were being asked. 
is there something more? And Paul knows that he has the answer. And more than that, he chooses to stick around. You know, there's this moment in the story which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, The prison doors, they're open. The chains have fallen off, and yet they choose to stay. I'd like to suggest that if there is an earthquake, um, and miraculously the prison doors fly open, your chains miraculously break off, it might be a supernatural sign from God that you should probably get out of there. Like, that's what I would assume, but they've chosen to stay. They say to the the jailer, don't worry, like, it's fine, we're still here. You know, we're not fearful of prison. We're not scared of being in chains. We have a hope that's bigger than that. I want that at the start of 2019. You know, and upon witnessing this, the jailer, his response immediately, like, what must I do to be saved? Having seen that, having seen their joy, having seen their courage, I want that. What must I do to be saved? You know, Paul and Silas, they've grabbed hold of this truth. They've understood something which allows them to stand in front of open prison doors and choose to stay around. They've grabbed hold of the truth that everything starts and ends with God. You know, they get that to live a life of joy means relinquishing control, of stepping into the moment that's in front of them and being open to being used by God however he wants. And there's so many examples of this throughout the New Testament of people um, often at great cost to themselves choosing to relinquish control, of embracing the moment that they find themselves in and just seeing it as an opportunity to share the reason for their joy. Um, Probably my favourite example of this is in Acts chapter 2 and it's a story of Peter that the Holy Spirit has just descended upon the disciples. They've spilled out into the marketplace. They're causing a bit of a scene because the Holy Spirit has enabled them to speak in different languages. Um, And Peter, in that moment, he stands up. The crowd think they're drunk and he chooses to preach the gospel. And in that moment, 3,000 people believe and the church is born. Like, it's actually a crazy story, right, if you think about that. Like, the world is actually changed forever as the birth of the church happens. And I've grown up in church, and I've heard that story hundreds of times, but I've always missed this point. And I think the key to the whole story is found in verse 13 to 14. And it says this, Some of the crowd made fun of them, and they said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And like I know in that moment that if Peter stands up, he will see 3,000 people saved. Like I know the end of the story, but Peter doesn't. Like when he's standing up, he has absolutely no idea what's going to happen. You know, it's the first recorded time in the Gospels that he's preached the good news of Jesus. Like in front of 3,000 people, what a way to start. Like just imagine it, he hasn't actually had any official preaching training. Like he's probably not completely sure what's going on. The crowd are jeering at him. They're making fun of him. His knees are probably starting to shake. You know, he's probably starting to sweat a bit. He's trying to raise his voice. It probably starts to falter. But in that moment, he chooses to stand. Like in the midst of uncertainty, he chooses to stand up. I feel that we're in a moment, um, KXC, where God is asking us, are you going to stand up? Are you going to embrace the moment that you find yourself in and see it as an opportunity for God to do more than you could ever ask for or imagine? Are we going to choose to share the reason for our joy this year? And for many of us, that won't look like preaching in front of a crowd of 3,000 people, but it will look like stepping out. It will cost us, you know, whether that's costing us our reputation 
making us look foolish. You know, maybe it's praying for a friend at work or standing up against an injustice that you see in the city and actually kind of saying, no, I don't agree with this. Maybe making a sacrifice to follow what you sense that God's going to do. Maybe just telling someone about Jesus. I don't know what it looks like for you. But Peter had no idea what standing up in that moment would do. But God used it and more joy broke out than he ever thought possible. Like the thing that God wants to do through your life is bigger than we can ask for or imagine. But it starts with us stepping out, of making that first small move, of stepping into vulnerability, of relinquishing control, of choosing um, to embrace a moment that we don't know what's going to happen. God wants joy to be released in this city. But here's the thing, he's going to use you to do it. Like there's no other plan, it's me and it's you. We're the people he's going to use. Like we're the people this year that he's placed in those flat shares, in our streets, in our workplace for such a time as this. Like the question is whether just in those everyday moments, like are we going to choose to step out? Are we going to choose to brace them, to, to tell a different narrative? I just, um, there's loads of different ways of doing this. And I'd really recommend having a look um, at the pattern website, um, classic. But it, it, there's so much good stuff on there. And there's a podcast on it for joy. And it's really, really brilliant. Mark Sayers, he talks about it. He struggles with bipolarity. And he's got some incredibly um, kind of helpful insights on how to cultivate joy. Um, so I'd really recommend you taking a look on that. But I just feel like God tonight wants to release joy in this room. And so I'm going to stop talking now. And I'm just going to ask.